Well, this morning, we're going to wrap up this little mini-series, if you will, within our broader series on the church, having to do with spiritual gifts. And what I am going to do in the first part of the message is really review the first two messages by way of asking and answering uh, six questions. And then in the second part of the message, we will examine uh, a list of spiritual gifts that uh, we find in the scriptures and then some closing comments and uh, hopefully uh, charge to you as what to do next. So let me give, first give you the six gifts. I'll list all six and then I'll go back and answer each one briefly. First question, who gives the gifts? Second question, who receives the gifts? Third question, why are the gifts given? Fourth question, what are spiritual gifts? Fifth question, ways to discover your spiritual gift. Sixth question, uh, where are the spiritual gifts to be used? And then, as I said, after I answer those six questions, we'll examine some of the spiritual gifts. So question one, who gives the gifts? Now, this should be obvious to us, but I do want to emphasize it. Every gift must have a giver. Therefore, if every believer has been given a spiritual gift, then we need to make sure that we completely understand, thoroughly understand, who it is that is the giver of these spiritual gifts. And the reality is that each member of the Trinity is involved in giving spiritual gifts. First, we have God the Father, and we see this in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, where Paul writes, for by, great, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, th- let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, one source of the gifts is God the Father. Then, of course, second would be God the Son. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Paul writes again, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So I've got the Father, I've got the Son, then thirdly, we have God the Holy Spirit. And we find that here uh, in our reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Paul again, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, now notice this is, this is repeatedly emphasized, to each, to every believer, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
So I read all those verses to help us understand that the spiritual gifts come to us by the way of the Trinity. Now, when you consider that, if you take some time to think about that, I hope it impresses upon you both the importance of the gift and the value of the gift. Your spiritual gift should never be taken lightly, should never be treated lightly. You have been given a special gift by all the members of the Trinity. And that gift has been given to you for his glory and for the good of his people. So who gives the gifts? All the members of the Trinity are involved in it. Question two, who receives the gifts? Well, this is obvious now, right? Every member of Christ's body, every believer, everyone who has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, everyone who has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, everyone who is in union with Christ has been given a gift. Now, admittedly, you may not be aware of the gift, and that's what we've been uh, driving towards for the past three weeks is to help you not only understand spiritual gifts, but to help you discover or to learn what your spiritual gift is. If you are in Christ, I'll say it again, you have a spiritual gift. Now, is it possible to have more than one spiritual gift? I think it is possible. But before you get all twisted in knots about figuring out multiple spiritual gifts, let's just concentrate on one spiritual gift that you have. Again, our, our reference, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, Romans 12, 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Therefore, what's, what's Paul saying here? Part of what he's saying is God has given you a unique gift designed especially for you, okay? So therefore, I need to be satisfied with the gift that I've been given and not worry about what, what gift somebody else may have. God has especially gifted you. Question three, why are the gifts given? Again, I hope this is obvious. Spiritual gifts are given for the good of the body. They are given for the good of the church family. They are given for the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now there's one very important truth concerning your spiritual gift, and it is this. And don't discount this, please. Others need your spiritual gift. You see that? Peter says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. It's for the good of the body. It's for the building up of the body. I need your gift. You need my gift. I need to allow you to minister your gift to me. And you need to allow me to minister your gift to me or my gift to you. And, and immediately we kind of run into a problem, don't we? 
because we are so afraid for a multitude of reasons, many of which I understand. We are so afraid of opening ourselves up to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, there's many reasons for that. Many of them I understand. But the reality is, in order for us to minister to one another, we have to understand that others have to know about our needs. We have to be willing to be open and honest with them in order to be ministered to. When you do not use your spiritual gift, your brothers and sisters in Christ suffer. That's just the fact of the matter. They need what you have been given. Question four, what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are ministries or abilities given by the Lord Jesus to be used in the power of the Holy Spirit for the good of the body, for the building up of the body. This is a, an ability that differs from your natural ability. Okay? We spent some time talking about that. Your spiritual gift is the means whereby the Holy Spirit ministers through you to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's how you minister to your church family. Question five, how do you discover your spiritual gift? We spent time, I believe it was last week on this. You discover your spiritual gift through the use of ordinary spiritual means. I've reduced it down to four words. You can add more, as many as you like, but I reduce it down to read, pray, seek, and serve. Read, stay in the scriptures, immerse yourself in the scriptures, take the time to meditate on the scriptures, pray, ask for guidance as to what your spiritual gift is. We know that we can ask for wisdom, ask the Lord to use you both for his glory and the good of his people. Now, do you think that that is a prayer that the Lord will answer? Of course it is. We have not because what? We ask not. And again, the fourth thing would be, a third thing would be seek. By that I mean seek to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you think, let me ask you a question, do you think that the Holy Spirit would lead you to be passive in this area of using your spiritual gift. I don't think so. Why would you be given a gift and then not be led to do anything with it? To seek to be continually filled with the Spirit. And finally, is serve. The discovery of your spiritual gift begins as you begin to serve. Action sets the wheels of discovery in motion. 
you discover your spiritual gift by using the tools, the spiritual resources that you already have at your disposal. And the discovery and use of your spiritual gift needs to be an active and aggressive lifelong pursuit. It's all well and good and it's wonderful to discover, to learn, to understand what your spiritual gift is, but then you need to go hard after using it and using it the rest of your life. There's no retirement from being a good Christian, is there? There's no retirement from being a minister to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your gift must be discovered, developed, and deployed through spiritual means. Here's one fear that I've had the past few weeks. I, I really have tried to keep things simple because I didn't want people twisting themselves in knots, getting all worked up about discovering their spiritual gift. You know, sometimes we can get, get so anxious about things that we paralyze ourselves. And we get to the point where we just throw up our hands and we think, oh, it's too complicated. I'll, I'll never figure this out. I don't want you to get to that point. Relax and just continue to engage in the normal spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. And it is out of those normal spiritual disciplines and activities that you will learn, that you will discover what your spiritual gift is. Now think about this. Discovery normally is the result of action. How many great discoveries are achieved in the pursuit of some kind of discovery? Now, when was America discovered? Not the year. It's when Columbus left the shores of Spain. He took action, right? How is gold mined out of the ground when the miner takes action? How do the Bengals score a touchdown? Well, they score a touchdown when the pigskin leaves the hand of Joe Burrow and is cradled in the arms of Jamar Chase as he crosses the end zone. Action. Action. You cannot discover your spiritual gift if you will not get off the bench. You cannot use your spiritual gift if you won't become active. Action is always a part of discovery. You can't win the game from the sidelines. How many scientific breakthroughs are the result of experimentation, of even trial and error? They were aiming for one thing, but all of a sudden they realized something else came about. Likewise, the discovery of your spiritual gift many times will be the result of experimentation and trial and error. Never discount the power of action. Get up. Get started. Question six. Where are spiritual gifts to be used? Well, spiritual gifts are to primarily be used in the context of the local church. Just think about when these Letters were written by the Apostle Paul. Who was he writing to? He was writing to churches that basically were going to 
be in the same spot all of their lives. Not too many of them are going to launch a worldwide evangelistic crusade. Most of them never met, left the town they were, they were born and raised in. So what's your point? The point is, this is the place where you put your spiritual gift to use. May God give you a larger platform somewhere else someday? Yes, but you don't start looking out the window before you've done anything here. Listen, I've been in ministry a long time, and I've seen this multiple times. Guys who, will, who say that they want to go into the ministry, but they're always looking for something bigger and better. They're never willing to stay put and be developed and grow where they're at. When the Lord called me into the ministry, I was the most unlikeliest of candidates. I was, this may be hard to believe, but I was the proverbial fly on the wall. I was a wallflower. I was unnoticed. I was nothing special. Still, I fit all of those criteria gladly. But when the Lord called me and I was contemplating what I needed to do, he showed me a verse. I should have looked it up this morning, but I didn't. But back in Genesis, where it talked about Jacob needed to be successful basically where he was at. In other words, God was saying, stay put here for a while. And unfortunately, many people, they don't want to do that. They want to launch out into something bigger and better. But listen, it is in the context of the local church that your spiritual gifts are discovered, developed, and deployed. They are to be used for the good of your church family. They are to be honed here in the context of the local church. It is here where you can receive practical instruction and encouragement and guidance and all of those things. It's in the context of the local church. So those are six key questions. Let's now look at the gifts of the spiritual gifts that Paul outlines here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These aren't necessarily in any order. There's just the order I've got them in. Number one is a spiritual gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, as the term prophecy is used in the New Testament, it refers to the faithful preaching of the Scriptures. It's a faithful preaching of the Scriptures. The spiritual gift of prophecy has nothing to, has nothing to do with telling the future. The word itself means to tell forth or to declare. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on. So the gift of prophecy is not to be confused with the office of a prophet. Now, it is true that there were, for a very limited period of time, there were those in the New Testament who were considered to be prophets along the lines of those in the Old Testament, but they were given to help in the formation of the church. As John MacArthur says, they belong to a special group, the first century church, and a special time in history, the apostolic era. So just as there are no apostles today, there are no prophets today as well. Someone calls himself a modern-day apostle, run. Calls himself a modern-day prophet, 
run equally as fast. They do not exist today. They were a special office given for a special time, which is no longer needed in our day and age. But certainly the gift of preaching continues today. 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy or preach. Paul, Paul, and Paul defines the essence of preaching when he wrote to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So preaching is, re, preaching is reading the text, explaining the text, and then applying the text. Spiritual gift one is prophecy. Spiritual gift two is the gift of teaching. Now, uh, the spiritual gift of teaching is given to certain individuals which allows them to teach and to impart the truth of God's word in very clear and very understandable ways. Teaching is not the same as preaching. Teaching is the divine ability to sit down with perhaps a new believer or any believer for any, uh, any matter and to impart to them spiritual truth in an understandable way. I like the, the, uh, the way that J. Vernon McGee, a preacher of long gone by, used to say uh, his desire was to put the truth of Scripture like cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody could reach them. That's what a good teacher does. They have that unique God-given ability to take spiritual truth and present it in such a way that even a child can understand it. That's not something to be discounted. That's a valuable gift. Now, this gift, it can be given to a Sunday school teacher. It could be given to a pastor. It could be given to a seminary professor. It could be given to a counselor. It could be given to a parent. Uh, it can be given to a, 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 any number of people to be used both inside and outside of the church. Now, what you're saying, now you're thinking something, wait a minute, you just said all these gifts are supposed to be utilized in the context of the church. Yes, that's true. But listen, if you're a parent and you have the spiritual gift of teaching, use it in the home, amen? Or you can use this in a discipling situation. And by the way, many of these gifts, when we talk about them, there is, there is a certain aspect that every Christian is to be involved in all of these activities, okay? So though you may not have the spiritual gift of teaching, that doesn't get you off the hook from discipleship, all right? So just keep, just keep that in mind. Uh, then there's the gift of faith. The gift of faith. Now, we understand that all believers have faith. But what Paul has in mind here is something different than saving faith. Some commentators believe, and I happen to agree with them, that the gift of faith is associated with prayer. Now, if you think about this, this makes sense. Say, so why does it make sense? Because how do we ask of things from God? In prayer. In prayer. So the person who has the gift of faith, he has an extra measure of uh, confidence, not only, not only in the reality that God hears him, but the reality that God is going to answer his prayer. In other words, there's no hesitancy in his prayer. He's not hedging his bets in his prayer. He, he prays with faith, not only that God hears him, but that God is going to answer his prayer. Now, here's a tremendous illustration of this. You may not know this man, but I would encourage you to find out about him. In 19th century England, in Bristol, England, there was a man by the name of George Mueller 
who ran a large orphanage. I mean, he cared for thousands of orphans. And he was known as a man of tremendous faith in prayer. He prayed in every need that these children had. He did not go out and solicit funds. If they needed clothing, he prayed that God would send them clothing. There's one story where they were sitting at the breakfast table and they had nothing to feed them. He prayed that God would feed them and God fed them. See, he didn't doubt that when he went to God in prayer that God was hearing him, but that God was also going to answer his prayer. What a wonderful gift to have to pray that way with complete confidence. And by the way, we all should pray with faith. We all should pray with faith. We should never express doubt in our prayers. Another gift, the gift of wisdom. Now, like faith, all believers possess wisdom as a result of their union with Christ. And we also know that if we lack wisdom, that it's always available to us. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we know that. But this spiritual gift refers to those who have the ability, the spiritual ability, the spiritual insight to comprehend in ways that others cannot deep biblical spiritual truth. This is a one, again, this is another wonderful gift that God has given to the body. And a simple way of understanding wisdom is the practical application of spiritual truth. And I would add proper application of spiritual truth. See, anybody can come up with some half-cocked application of a truth. But not everybody can come up with a practical, biblical application of the truth. Someone with the gift of wisdom, uh, they have the ability to take this truth and to translate it into practical wisdom that others can follow and implement. Now, closely related to that is the gift of knowledge. Um, This gift, many believe, refers to academia, to the Bible scholars, to those who spend their lives studying the languages and archaeology and history and all of those things. And I, I, don't, I don't quibble with that. And I thank God for those men who have been given this gift where they can sit for hours and hours and hours and hours and, and, and study the scriptures in such helpful ways and, 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 and help us to understand the Bible. But I do want to be careful here. I don't want you to leave here believing that this gift is only given to those who work in institutions of higher learning. I don't think that's the case. I want to be especially careful to remind us that these are spiritual gifts, not intellectual gifts. A high IQ is a natural ability and is not the same as the spiritual gift of knowledge. Again, this gift is given to help us gain insights into the scripture, but these insights come from the Holy Spirit, not a person's intellect. Listen, we are... I, 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 as a pastor, am so grateful for those who have this gift because they help us. See, many times there are, there are many verses in Scripture 
where you have to know the historical context and background of that text in order to properly apply that text, in order to properly extract the principle from that text. And it is these men that have been gifted this way that help us in these situations. Listen, it's very easy, it's very easy to look at a text, run with a text, and not understand the text. And you can cause great harm, not only to yourself, but to others. Be careful there. Next would be the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is another gift from the Lord in order to protect the church from false doctrine. And this is a critical gift for the church today in light of the false teaching that is rampant and is more easily accessible than ever before in history. When you think about it, Anybody with a webcam and a microphone can get on there and spout whatever. And we know the internet's filled with that stuff. And if you're not discerning, you'll get trapped by some of that stuff. I'll say this, I'll probably get in trouble, but it won't be the first time. I'm not so sure I'd use the internet for research, to be honest with you. I just don't think I would. You say, boy, that's, uh, that's pretty arrogant of you, maybe. But here's the problem. You don't really know these people. Do you? Do you know their track record? Do you know their history? You've got to consider that. Just because it sounds good doesn't mean it is good. And thank God for those who have been given the gift of discernment. Let me give you an example of one man that I trust, Justin Peters. Now, you may or may not know Justin Peters, but uh, he was saved out of the Word of Faith movement, I believe, right? And is an evangelist today, closely acquainted with MacArthur and others. If you, if you want to know the heirs of Hillsong and Bethel Church and Elevation, go watch him as he lays out the biblical case of what's wrong with much of that. We need those who have the gift of discernment. But listen, if you have the gift of discernment, you must be very careful in how you exercise it because if you use it in the flesh, you'll destroy people. See, the gift of discernment is not to destroy people. It's to protect God's church, okay? The gift of showing mercy. Those who have this gift excel in deeds of loving kindness. And that, that's one, to me, that's one of the most beautiful words in Scripture. I was reading, reading this morning and came across this word, God's loving kindness, twice. What a beautiful word. God's not only loving, he's kind. And he's the only one that can combine them the way that he does. Loving kindness. What a marvelous word. What a beautiful word. Well, God gives some the gift where they can excel in these deeds of loving kindness. And those who minister the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit, they share the love of Christ in very real, tangible ways. 
And showing mercy is an act of compassionate love. Next, the gift of exhortation. The Christian who has the gift of exhortation is the one who comes alongside another brother or sister in Christ and they offer them help and encouragement and support. And when they do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, they don't come along spouting pious platitudes or empty promises, but they use the Word of God. They use Scripture to encourage people, to lift people up, to spur them forward, just to give them the help that they need. Another wonderful gift. Then there's the gift of giving. This spiritual gift has to do with material goods and possessions. And by the way, well, someone who has the spiritual gift of giving, it will be the first one who shows up when people are in any kind of material need. Clothing, food, housing, money, whatever the case may be. And for your information, there is no correlation between the gift of giving and the resources a person may or may not have. Some of the more, most generous people that I've known have had meager resources out of which to give. Say, so how do they do that? Why do they do that? Because they have the spiritual gift of giving. Next is the gift of administration. Now, this gift is given to those who are in positions of spiritual authority in the church. That would be the pastors and teachers. They would be those who keep the church running smoothly. And Paul urged other believers to respect those who have this gift. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Gift of administration, very, very, very important gift. Finally, the gift of helps. The gift of helps. This spiritual gift is the gift of service. This spiritual gift is used by those who labor diligently and faithfully behind the scenes, doing things that many times nobody knows about. And they're happy with that. They're not doing it for uh, looking to get credit. They simply do it because God has gifted them in a way that they love to serve. They love to serve others. They'll do whatever is needed for them to do. And again... A person could be extremely introverted, but yet love to serve. So how does that happen? Because it's a spiritual gift, not a natural ability. The gift of helps. Now let me caution you. Many people default to this being their spiritual gift. And I understand that. And if it is your gift, that's wonderful. And use it to serve the Lord and to serve his people any way that you can. But just make sure that you're not claiming this gift as your own because it's easy one to figure out. We can all wrap our heads around the fact that, hey, I, I've got the gift of helps or serving. Remember this. We just went through a long line of gifts. You should at least stop and consider the other gifts that would apply to you. And again, if it, if it is your gift of serving and helping, great, more power to you. All I'm saying is just be careful 
that you latch on to this without being willing to put forth the effort, frankly, to try and determine if perhaps one of these other gifts is not more suited to you than the one that God has given to you. Let me close our study of spiritual gifts with some wisdom from John MacArthur. He writes, Every gift was characteristic of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. He was a teacher. He was full of faith. He was wisdom personified. He had all knowledge. He was a discerner of spirits. He showed mercy. He was the true preacher. He was the ultimate giver. He was ruler and leader, and he was servant and minister. He goes on to say the church, a new body formed by Christ, is to do what Christ's fleshly body did, manifest his nature. Since all gifts were part of his fleshly body, all are also a part of his spiritual body. Spiritual gifts are the reproduction of Christ's ministry. That's something I've been trying to stress for the past three weeks. And he concludes by saying it is vitally important for all believers to know their spiritual gift and to use it. That way the body's witness will be effective and each member in a personal way will reflect all of Christ's attributes. The key is to allow the Holy Spirit to be in control as we use our gifts. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Please do not let what you've heard the past three weeks go in one ear and out the other. If you are a Christian, your Lord and Savior has given you a gift, and he wants you to use that gift for his glory and the good of his people. Would you commit to use the spiritual means available to you in order to discover your gift? Read, pray, seek, serve. Remember what I said last week, needs exist in the church so that you can learn what your spiritual gift is. Be proactive. Can I say that again? Be proactive in this. We need your gift. Your passivity, your reluctance, dare I say your disobedience, harms the body. Action leads to discovery. As you serve, you will discover your spiritual gift. You say, oh, well, where, where can I start? Where can I start serving? Wherever there's a need. Let me just give you some random thoughts here. You could be an usher. You could be a greeter. You could uh, help cut the grass and weed the flower beds. Here's one. That I, know, I know that everybody, you know, they look down on this somewhat. And you can work in a nursery. You can teach and serve in, children, in children's church. You can serve in the audio video ministry. You can help out with Kids of Grace. You could be a part of organizing events for the church and events outside the church. You could help Tyler in the church library, amen? How about this? You could be a mentor to the young boys in our church. Or if you're of sufficient age, you could be a mentor to our single men. 
Or you could be a mentor to our single ladies. Or you could be a mentor to families with young children. Or you could be a mentor to married couples. See, there's plenty of needs. And the Lord Jesus has given us all the gifts we need in order to serve one another. But you will never discover your gift if you come in here every Sunday and plop down and watch the world go by. You must mingle to minister. I'm going to trademark that. You've got to get up and talk with people, get involved with people. Not in a, uh, you're trying to uh, uh, invade their privacy, but just get to know them, talk to them, learn about them. Find out in the course of conversation, I'm sure in the course of conversation at some point in time, some need's going to come up. See, we are not lacking in needs. We're not lacking in opportunity. We're lacking in obedience. We're simply not willing to get out of our comfort zone and minister to one another. To use another sports analogy, the ball's in your court. What are you going to do? 